So let's begin reading right there at verse number one. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, Paul writing to Timothy, God through the Holy Spirit writing to us, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Verse 5 says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, uh, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their world word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hamenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this, this morning, with this gathering, Lord, around your holy word. Lord, above all things, Lord, may you be high and lifted up in our hearts. Each and every one of us, Lord, may we collectively surrender ourselves to you this very moment. Lord, point out to us Lord, the, the areas and where we need to let go and let you take over. Lord, help us to collectively come together, Lord, as your bride this morning, as your local bride, as Holmfield's Baptist Church, Lord, and may we bring glory to your holy name. Lord, as we gather and we worship you in our spirit, Lord. Lord, we've been reminded, Lord, that one of the definitions of worship is to surrender our will to yours, to be obedient, to, to receive your word this morning, Lord, and let it change us. Lord, let us not be resilient. Let us not be resistant, rather, to the leading of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to be open to it. Help me to be open to it and be obedient to what you lead me to do, Lord. Lord, this message to me this morning, as I will share, Lord, you know it's convicting to me. And Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you've, you've already prepared hearts today, this morning. And Lord, that they can catch what I've caught in your word this morning. And Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, continuing on. And I think I've already mentioned in the intro this morning, we'll be in 2 Timothy for at least a couple more Sundays. Uh, but last week we were reminded about the similarities between a soldier, an earthly soldier, and a Christian soldier, if you will, a Christian soldier in the Lord's army, a spiritual soldier. 
And granted, the mission of a Christian soldier, you and I, uh, is not the defense of a heavenly kingdom. We're not to you know, stand guard for that, although there are some similarities there as well. But we are to peacefully advance such a kingdom through the preaching of the Lord's gospel. But the preaching of the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. And it should go without being said, but contrary to some so-called Christians and so some so-called Christian movements in history, the gospel is not to be spread violently. It's not to be spread with physical weapons. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 specifically states that though you and I walk in the spirit, or walk in the flesh rather, in other words, we are in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We do not force Christianity because our weapons of warfare are not after the flesh. They are spiritual. And even more so, Ephesians 6 lists, and many of y'all have been through Ephesians chapter, number, chapter 6 a number of times looking at those weapons there. It lists the armor of God as truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, prayer, the word of God, and the advancement of the gospel message. That is our armor. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer are the only offensive weapons listed in that, and the only ones to be used for the advancement of the gospel message and one can easily conclude from that text there and many other ones that the armor of God is therefore used to hold the line, as we've been going through 2 Timothy, hold the line, to advance the line, and to do so peacefully and spiritually. And spiritually. Our enemy is kind of what Bobby was talking about here, kind of unique how God puts all this together. Our enemy is not humanity. It's just not. Our enemy is not unbelievers or those who may not agree with the gospel message. The Bible again states in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I mean, you can probably stop right there. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is our enemy. So those who oppose us and even those who oppose themselves as 2 Timothy speaks about later on in this chapter, they are not the enemy. They're the mission. They are the mission. They're the ones we're supposed to be reaching. And continuing on in Paul's analogy of a Christian as a soldier, there are some key points that I believe that we must grasp if we are to soldier on. If we are to stay in the fight. Next week I have a message prepared called Reenlist. And it continues in this soldiering on, if you will, and it closes out 2 Timothy chapter 2. But this morning, I think there's a, the, the thing that, the burden that God gave me for this sermon was that we must soldier on for the cause of Christ. Because if our mission is really to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is, we can see that Paul gives Timothy, God gives us a few subtasks, if you will, that we must accomplish. And by the way, before I get to that, think about how many missions does a local church have? One. One mission. Now, there are a lot of subtasks, right? We're supposed to live and live in a way that brings honor to God, to be on it, keep the commandments. On and on and on, we can go down that list of how we're supposed to live. But we have one mission outside this church, and that's to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week, we were reminded of the importance of carrying out that gospel, of being a trained soldier for the Lord. If you remember, look at verses 5 through 7 again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth, laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. 
Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding. I want to I put some focus on that phrase there. The Lord give thee understanding in all things. So verse 5 states that we are to strive for masteries. And verse 7 tells us that those masteries begin with knowledge. So we are to, number one this morning, strive for understanding. And I know that we took this verse last week and we looked at it at a different angle. We used it for being a trained soldier. Today I want to look at the best way of being a trained soldier, and that's to strive for understanding. Think again, if you will, of a spiritual soldier showing up to a new spiritual unit, a new church, rather. Uh, as a new soldier, even as a seasoned soldier, you and I should be zealous for good works. We should have a zeal about us to serve the Lord. In fact, in Titus 2.14, if you want to turn there, a couple pages to the right there, and our, the Lord has already given me some message from, ch uh, chapter, or from the book of Titus, which is a great little book. But look at verse, um, ah, so much. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. This is you and me, friends, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people just because, no, zealous of good works. We should have an overwhelming desire for good works, to honor our Savior, because He has purified unto Himself us. We're the peculiar people. We are peculiar. <laughs> I like that. I like being peculiar for the Lord. Well, if you think about it, before good works comes, a good understanding must come. And if we are to strive lawfully, as Paul wrote back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we need to know some things. It's just obvious. We need to know some things. We must strive for understanding. The Greek word here used for strive is athleo. It's closely the word, closely related to the Greek word athletes. I mean, you can probably see some connections there. It's where we get the word athlete from. To strive as an athlete. So Paul is really, I mean, put a lot of things together as a soldier and as an athletic soldier, if you will. He's putting all that together there. And really, soldiers are very athletic anyway. In other words, I think what we're what he's trying to tell us, what I think the Lord's trying to tell us this morning, is we are to contend for the faith, and we must do so according to the rules. We must contend for the faith, and we must do so according to the rules. We must strive lawfully. But notice that after Paul instructs Timothy to strive lawfully and for the Lord, again, he gives them, uh, he asks that the Lord give him understanding in all things. And understanding. It's like... He says, I want you to strive lawfully as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't be entangled with the world's affairs. Strive lawfully. And then he makes a beeline for the cross. I mean, look at verse 7. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Consider what I say, and Lord, give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead. Right to the cross. Our understanding must begin at the cross. I hope you see the connection there. We are to strive for the faith. We are to strive according to and for knowledge. And the greatest knowledge any individual can have is the knowledge of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is at the top. There is no higher. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And Solomon must have been from the south. He said, With all thy getting, get understanding. I like the way that comes across. You know, so Paul or Solomon says, Get understanding. 
And if you're there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 7. Paul wrote that the, as the Lord, as the day of the Lord returns, as it gets closer to God returning on this earth, many folks in verse 7, he says, will be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. My point is this. We are to strive for the greatest you and I inside these walls, inside of our homes, inside of our individuals. I'm not talking about the gospel outside. I'm talking about the gospel inside right now. We are to strive for the greatest understanding of the greatest truth. The greatest understanding of the greatest truth, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. How can we be a follower of Jesus Christ and we don't know anything about him? Right? It doesn't make any sense. How, you don't want to be a football player. You don't know anything about being uh, playing football or basketball or however it is. Shannon likes cars. He can probably tell you a few things about cars because he has a passion for cars. If we have a passion for following Christ, we should know a thing or two about Christ. Strive for the greatest understanding of the greatest truth. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, a great passage. He says, what things were gained to me... Those I counted lost for Christ, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do we have a desire to know him? I'm not talking about salvation. We're, we're, we're not beyond that, but that foundation is already laid. Do we have a desire to know the individual person of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, you and I put so much effort in earthly desires. We spend so much time learning temporal things that we forget to study the greatest truth. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something for which every Christian should strive. Remember our theme this year is taken from Philippians 3. So we are to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are to press forward. It's not just a good slogan. I hope it's that as well. But we are to press forward. We are to continue. We are to soldier on. And it isn't a strive to attain salvation. I want to make that sure. And I'll, I'll probably hit that again later on. It's a strive to understand more about the God-man who paid our sin debt on that old rugged cross. Have a desire to know Him personally. Because if we are to truly press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, we must press toward that mark properly, lawfully, Paul says. We should press forward in a way that honors God with Jesus as our coach, with Jesus as our team captain, if you will, and us as an athlete or a soldier. We must strive lawfully. We must strive lawfully. By contrast, I want you to jump down to our next point. Look at verse 11. Of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy, God to us, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, Timothy, put them in remembrance charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. So not only are we to strive for understanding, number two, very clearly from the text here, we are to study the scriptures. That's no surprise. I mean, if you come to a Baptist church, you got to expect that the pastor is going to say, hey, you need to be in the book. You need to be studying the Bible. Really, you should go to any church. They should tell you these things, these same things. We should study the book. Now, I want to point out that the word strive here has a different meaning than the word strive in verse 5. As mentioned, the first usage of that word means to press forward as an athlete, to be 
all in. When you cross that finish line, you don't want to look back and say, well, I gave a good 60%. You want to give all you got to strive as an athlete. The second usage is an entirely different word in the Greek, and it means to dispute. It means to wrangle about empty or trifling matters. To wrangle about empty or trifling matters. Simply put, a faithful Christian is not to be caught up in or even argue about things that are nonsense. We could probably park there for a long time. We are all guilty of this. Think about our media today. Think about all the things we are wrangled, wrangling with. Paul says Christians are not to do these things. Don't get caught up in nonsense, or as Paul puts it, words without profit. And going back to striving as an athlete, the only way an athlete succeeds, and the only way a good soldier succeeds, is truly to study the rule book. I mean, I've never been a wrestler in high school, but I've been told from wrestling, you, there's very strict rules. Anybody here a wrestler in high school or a college or something like that? Nobody? Well, from what I understand, there's a lot of, no wrestlers, a lot of, a lot of rules involved. You can, you can win, but if you don't follow those rules, then you're not going to win that. So we must follow the rules. We have the rule book of life right here. You know, imagine, if you will, playing a board game for the first time. Say Shannon invites me over to their house and they hey, let's play this board game. And we've been playing it for years, but we're going to play spades, but I'm not going to tell you how. Guess who's going to win? They're going to win because I don't know the rules. I don't know the rules. So maybe may may a one-on-one -on -one sport for the first time. You're going to go out and play that without knowing the rules. Your chances of success are very small, if, if any. One would not expect the best hockey player to succeed as a goalie in soccer. No, well, maybe. Um, maybe we wouldn't expect the best quarterback in the NFL to be a good hooker in rugby. I had to look that word up. I don't know anything about rugby. You know what a hooker is? It's called the same thing? Yeah? So anybody else know what that is? Uh, Bobby probably does, yeah. So if you think about it, in all these scenarios, the rookie, if you will, that, the one who does not know the rules, he would not play lawfully. He cannot play lawfully out of ignorance, and he would certainly rack up some penalties because he or she did not know the rules. That's an easy application to life, I think. Imagine that and then going along with that, that sports scenario there, imagine that in each of those scenarios, whether it's the, the football player trying to play hockey or, the, or the, the foosball player trying to play NBA basketball, whatever you want to play, in all those scenarios, you have this group of people coming along behind you trying to tell you the rules, and they themselves don't know the rules. That's what Paul is talking about here with the Christian life. Now, before we go on, I, I want to point out that it may be contrary to some thinking, but life is bigger than sports. Amen. That would go over well or better in some other churches, I guess. But anyway, but I think these scenarios paint a good picture of what Paul is teaching Timothy. In other words, as Christians, if we are to strive lawfully, we need to study the book. We need to study the book. When we stand before holy God at the end day, we can't even say I didn't know because he gave us the rule book. We can say I didn't read the rule book and he can say, well, Oh, I don't know what he can say. It's God. He can say what he wants to say. But we are charged to follow the rule book. In other words, as a Christian, we, are again, we again are to strive lawfully, study the Holy Scriptures, be in the book. We are to strive not about words to no profit, but we are to study to show ourselves approved. A, 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Paul is telling Timothy, God is telling us this morning, don't be wrangled into trifling matters. Don't be controlled or confused. Don't be entangled, if you will, with the affairs of this life or to words with no profit. Look at the end of verse 14. Such nonsense subverts hearers. It's subversion. The world is subverting believers. Is that real? Is that a true statement? Do we see that? It is very true. And it's right here at the, at the tail end of a verse there in verse 14. It subverts hearers. Nonsense, words to no profit, bring subversion to those who know the truth. And if we are truly Christian, if we truly belong to Jesus Christ, there should be at least a small desire to live a victorious life for our blessed Redeemer. There should be some desire for approval from God, not from your pastor, not from your spouse, not from your best friends, although that's okay to have those. But at the top of that list, we must seek for approval from God while we rightly divide the word of truth. Listen, folks, like Paul, I hope that you can say this with me. When it's all over and done with, when I'm on my deathbed, I want to be able to say to my children, to say to the church I've pastored, to say to whoever that's going to listen, I fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Do we not? We all want to be there, right? And by the grace of God, I want to tell you this morning, the only way I or you are going to achieve such a high calling is to press toward that mark according to the guidelines set in this book. That's the only way. We must strive lawfully for a deeper understanding of the things of God. And we must study to show ourselves approved unto God. Approved unto God. And again, I want to be crystal clear here. Such approval from God has nothing to do with salvation. This approval, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of a church. We're not talking about salvation here. It has nothing to do with our position in Christ and everything to do with our practice. You know, when I was a child, many years ago, me and Tyler are kids together in different parts of the country. Um, sometimes I did things that my father approved. Many times I did things that my father did not approve. But, you know, I was never not his child. I was always his son. And if you've been born into the family of God, you will always be a child of God even though we might not always be approved of God. But we can be. But we can be. If verse 15 is correct, and it is, it's true, he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. We have a recipe for approval. What a great truth this reveals. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. In other words, we, you and I, can work and labor in a way that gives us no cause to be ashamed before God. Now let's look at that practically. When you go to pray and you're before God, how many of us are ashamed when we start to mention just prayer? If you really think about who you are, right? We all probably should hold our hands because we all have something to be ashamed about. But the Word of God here is telling we can go to God without shame. Think about that for a moment. We can be approved of God, even in this life. And the Apostle John agrees with this statement in 1 John 3, verse 21. John writes, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. How great it is, and it is great, if you've never experienced, I challenge you to do so, to go to God without shame, to go to God in confidence, knowing and believing that you have done everything that he's asked you of. Now, we're not perfect, so that means there's a lot of repentance involved, right? 
But we can go to God in confidence. We can go to God knowing, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm doing right now is approved of God. How many other things can we say in our life that we know is approved of God? We can go to God in confidence. I think that's a great truth. In 1 John chapter 3, the verse right before that, the Bible talks, or John writes, if our heart condemn us, what do we do then? John just responds with, God is greater than our heart. But if you live right, you can go to God with confidence. See the contrast there? So if we come to a point where our heart's condemning us before God, Jesus says, I'm bigger than your, than your convictions. I've, I've paid for that sin. Get it right and live for God in confidence in approval. What a great concept we have. What a great God we have. Friends, this, this is what the Word of God does for us. Study to show ourselves approved so that we can have confidence before God. I mean, huh. We, thought we have that, I think I mentioned it last week, trust your training, trust your trainer, trust God, He is with you, trust the Holy Spirit. This is what the Word of God does for us. It brings confidence towards God. It eradicates shame before God because we live differently before God because of the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the Word of God is quick, that means alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of a joint and marrow in this last passage and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A discerner. It lets us know what's right and what's wrong. In other words, when we study the word of God, it triages our thoughts, if you will. It triages our desires and categorizes them. It's like, all right, this is of the flesh. This is of God. Get rid of the flesh. Follow God. The Word of God does this for us. We, we cannot live a victorious life. I cannot pastor this church. I cannot be a, a father to my children, a husband to my wife, and a friend without studying the Word of God. I will fail every time. You are, are no different. We must study the Word of God. Let it triage our desires. Because when we rightly divide the Word of God, the Word of truth, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead and enable us, look again, we will be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. How great is that? I mean, imagine yourself as a subordinate going to your boss, knowing that you've accomplished what he's told you to do. There's pride is probably the, the right pride, if you will. There's, there's honor in that, maybe a better way to put that. There's, there's, there's happiness, there's joy in that to go to our Father without shame. This is what it means to soldier on. This is what it means, this is what it means to live and labor confidently and unashamed before our Redeemer and Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, it's, it's not like when you're a kid, wow, I can fly around the moon. Whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about living that right life. And God says you can. He can through us. But we have to be surrendered. And as to be expected, continue on the text here, the work and workmen of God will always have opposition. Will always have opposition. All that live godly will suffer persecution. So in summary, so far, Paul has written that we should not strive for words without profit. By contrast, we should strive for, we should strive for the words of life. And I think Paul is really trying to drive the importance of words here. He then charges Timothy in that very next verse, in verse 16, shun 
profane and vain babblings. We are to shun profane and vain babbling. You know, if you were to read through the pastoral epistles a few times, first, second, first and Second Timothy and Titus, you will easily pick up on the emphasis and dangers of nonprofit words. And that's not a whatever words without profit would be a better way to put that. So I think Paul, God leading Paul, is extremely concerned with false teaching and ridiculous rhetoric in the New Testament church. He's concerned with it creeping into those churches and is concerned with it creeping into the hearts and minds of spiritual leaders and people in the church. Paul is warning us. In verse 17, he told Timothy, look at that verse, I want you to see that. Shun, 16, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word, those profane and vain babblings, will eat as doth a canker. The Greek word for canker is where we get the word gangrene. Gangrene is defined as a disease, I'm going to read this, which any part of the body suffering from inflammation becomes so corrupted that unless a remedy be seasonally applied, the evil continually spreads, the disease continually spreads, attacks the entire body, and at least at the end eats away the bones. That's real. That's gangrene today. Paul says, Words to no profit to the Christian are like gangrene. In other words, profane and vain babbling, words without profit or any word that opposes the Holy Spirit scriptures are like the Christian Superman's kryptonite. It destroys us. It will destroy you. There's no, he doesn't give you any ways out. If you defend or if you rely on your own abilities, it's going to kill you. It's going to, look at the end of... Let's see here. At the end of 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. That's an example of worse to no profit and overthrow the faith of some. We do not want to have that happen to us. So whether it be books, music, movies, podcasts, even gossip, any and all communication that is vain and profane will eat away at your godliness. Slowly but surely. It's going to happen. Again, in verse 16, the Bible says that it will increase unto more ungodliness. So get that now. You're trying to live right for God, and you allow this, this certain entertainment, this certain conversation, this certain language, this book, music, whatever it may be, and it's going to eat away at your godliness and increase ungodliness in your life, just like gangrene does. That's dangerous. We must be very careful. And as these words of influence reign unchecked in our lives, the unfortunate truth is that they eat through our godliness and even overthrow the faith of some. Listen, I don't think any of us are immune to sin. There's no thinking about it. None of us are immune to sin. And God has taught us through His Word how, can we, how we can live an approved life. Right here in the text, I think it's crystal clear. We can live an approved life. There are some dangers of nonprofit words. The question is, will we respond correctly? Will we respond correctly? Are there things in our lives that could be maybe caught up in the profane and vain babbling? Vain just means empty. Empty words. 
And I have to admit to you this morning that this message was, again, convicting to me. And I have already chose to make some personal changes in my life. This is what preaching does. This is what preaching should do for us. There are still some things that I struggle with and you struggle with. We're all in the same boat, if you will. But as your pastor, I challenge you to look at these things. Strive to do what's right. Strive for the right understanding. Strive for a better understanding of the Word of God. Study the Word of God. I challenge you not just to read the Word of God, but to study the Word of God. Because we cannot know, get this now, we cannot know what is false without first knowing what is true. Right? We must know what is true. So when that false teaching, that false preaching, that vain and profane babbling comes along, bells and whistles will go off. And we're like, yeah, but I don't need that in my life. I know the truth. I know the truth. Sin, false teachings, words without profit, vain and profane babbling, just like gangrene. Get this now. It does not require our recognition for it to run its course. We don't have to recognize sin in our life for sin to run its course to destroy us. You all with me? We should recognize it. We, the, the, the benefit of recognizing it so we can cast it out. But we don't have to recognize it for it to destroy us. And the only way to recognize it is to be in this book. To be in his house. We can't get enough of this. You can't get enough of this. It's God's plan for us to soldier on. If we let sin run its course in the, in the, in the name of vain babblings and these words with no profit, the scriptural conclusion is that it will overthrow the faith of some of us. And friends, let's be honest. Have you ever seen it? We've all seen it. It happens to good Christian families. It happens time and time again. We allow things into our lives. And before you know it, that thing is the main thing. And it's no longer church or no longer Bible reading. It's no longer our Savior. I would say, friends, Christians, I want to say something very practical here. But we live in a world that thrives off ridiculous rhetoric. We live in a world that thrives off of delusional dialogue. We must be very careful. It is our kryptonite. We must stand away from it. We must soldier on, strive lawfully, study the truth, and keep on keeping on because he's worthy. Friends, he is worthy. He is worthy. And even if all else fails, I want you to see verse 19. Verse 19 says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Amen. Amen. So in our efforts to soldier on, we are to strive spiritually. We are to shun or we are to study the scriptures, shun profane and vain babblings. And finally, we are to stand sure on the foundation of God. Paul tells Timothy that while deception and misconception may be the spiritual downfall of some, Timothy, it does not have to be you. And friends, it does not have to be you. It does not have to be me. Even though some faithful Christians will be overcome by the ways of this world, it doesn't have to be you. Because, and God will remain faithful no matter what. He cannot deny himself. Take your Bibles and go back a couple to 1 Corinthians. Back a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to point out and using these passages here that there is no foundation more sure than God's foundation. 
There is no foundation more sure than God, and God knows who is on that foundation. God knows. Look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, again, writes, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work. This is talking about Christians, mind you, for of what sort it is. Verse 14 says, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself, he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Again, there is no foundation more sure than the foundation of God. In other words, if you are truly His this morning, you know that you're His. And you know, as verse 19 back in 2 Timothy chapter 9 talks about, in verse 19 he says, God knows who are His. Right? So you know you're His. God knows you're His. If we get away from the Lord, like the prodigal son, you know, looking at the prodigal son's life when he was there with the pigs, did he look like a believer at all? Not even close. Not even close. But he was. He was. I say that to say this. You can only fall so far. You may fall into the darkest parts of this world, but Jesus Christ is your foundation. That foundation is not moving. Now, this is not a license to sin. This is not a liberty to sin. This is God protecting his own. The foundation is not moving. It is sure. God's grace is greater than our sin, and you can indeed stand. We can stand because He stands. We can live because He lives. But as we come to a close, I want to point out in this, in this section here the purpose of a foundation. Think about what a foundation... We just read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What do you do with a foundation? You build upon it, Right? So if you were to build upon it, and we talked about wood, hay, and stubble, or precious stones, so let's put that in some modern vernacular. If you were to build a stray hut on a concrete foundation, hurricane comes, your, your stray hut's gone. But straw hut, your straw hut is now stray. <laughs> there you go. But say, <laughs> say, you're, <laughs> say you're sitting on top of your, you're on a second floor of your straw hut, and the winds blow, where are you going? You're falling. So what's it like to fall on concrete from the second floor? It's going to hurt. But you're not going through it. Praise God you're not going through it. I would ask for a show of hands how many have been on that second floor straw hut. I know I have. I have. And it hurts when you fall. But God enables us to build the right. And when we build the right materials with the right materials, it will never fall. It will never fall. We are to build upon it. It will catch you, no doubt about it. You're not going through it. But its purpose is not for soft landings. It's for building and advancing the kingdom of God. The Lord knoweth, look at verse 19 again, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, if you're His, and God knows that you're His, and you're telling the world, and you're claiming to God, I'm yours, a direct command, depart from iniquity. 
That's going to be the first point of next week's sermon. So I want to point out that living in a way that makes your spouse or your best friend happy doesn't come by accident, does it? It doesn't. Neither does living for the Lord. It's got to be something done on purpose. And as we enter here shortly, the third month of 2021, may we soldier on in a way that pleases the one who chose us to be a soldier. Soldier on. Let's pray.